Welcome to the Vocation Creation Podcast, helping you create the work you can't wait to wake up to do. Get inspired by people who have designed their own unique vocation and entrepreneurial experts sharing valuable information on starting and growing your business. Now, here's Jennifer Wendell with Vocation Creation. So today on Vocation Creation, we have Grace Skinner, who is a movement storytelling specialist out of Denver. Hi, Grace. I'd love to hear more about that. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. I would love to tell you about that. And I love how you introduced me. So I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm a movement um, storytelling specialist. Is that the word you use? Movement storytelling specialist out of Denver, Colorado. And specifically, I have skills in pole. I am a low trapeze artist. And I also have an extensive background in theater, which ended up translating into a career in theater, film, and television production, which I'm not doing much with right now because of the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. It's a very difficult business right now, isn't it? I mean, more so than it would be anyway, which of course, it's clearly known to be a very uh, challenging business to really be fully employed in, even at the best of times, right? That is absolutely true. How has your business uh, itself or or the work that you do, how has that been affected by the coronavirus? And what are you doing more of now that you weren't before and and vice versa? What have you stopped doing because of the global pandemic? I watched the industry that I had been working in dissolve overnight. It It was actually as dramatic as that. I remember in late February, I had several jobs on the books for March and I got one phone call and then I got two more emails and then I just slowly watched watched the cancellation of all the jobs for the foreseeable future. There are virtual events that are happening, but as I'm sure you can imagine, the crew needed to execute those events is not nearly as extensive as a live conference where you have 50,000 people coming and all the logistics of that need to be coordinated by a huge staff of people. So I have seen individuals in my industry reaching out to as many people as they can to, to try to give work hours where they can be given, but most of the people that I know are surviving on unemployment right now. So mm-hmm. how about yourself? What, what did you have planned that did get canceled uh, because of the pandemic? Um, what, what was kind of the big thing you were looking forward to that now isn't happening? Well, I feel like I had finally hit my stride. In December, I had been working extremely consistently, which as you were saying before, as a freelancer is a huge achievement. And I've been working towards that for four years, maybe, and felt like in the last, oh, I don't know, year, I'd really started to get some momentum behind me. And then the floor dropped out. So I feel like I was working towards a lifestyle. I thought my life was going to look a very specific way which is maybe something to talk about, especially as we're discussing vocation. I very much see career as a lifestyle choice more than anything. And so my lifestyle looked like traveling. I had two roller bags packed. I had those cool zip bags that you can put underwear and shirts and pants in and keep them all separate and your bag is really organized and I had a toiletry kit that never got unpacked it was always hanging on my shower rod and my life was in and out of bags going to and from the airport utilizing lift all the time getting takeout living in hotels primarily in Vegas and San Francisco I had bought a whole wardrobe, which I get to wear today, which is very exciting, but otherwise doesn't get much use these days. Had this whole wardrobe that I curated and cultivated to be 
an associate producer on these corporate conventions and conferences. And that was what I was moving towards. And then what I really watched fall away was this lifestyle that I thought I was building. And there's been a process first of just trying to survive. And then recently I've noticed, wow, I, I really have to go through a grieving process around that because it, it took a left turn so unexpectedly. And I really enjoyed my work. I really enjoyed my job. I really liked being on site. I love the people that I work with. And unless we're on site, we're not going to be seeing each other. So I think yeah, there is so much to grieve, mm-hmm. Grie- grieving the fact that, you know, there's death and the fact that a lot of us have had people that have been affected by coronavirus. And even if we haven't, there's a loss of the work that we've done or some aspect of the work that we've done or, you know, a complete dry up of income or, or there's just so much. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that that's such an important thing to acknowledge as well. It's really should be first and foremost is that all of this is happening because there's this catastrophic loss of life. So it, the grieving that's happening in, in everybody's life for the things that you have lost personally is overshadowed by almost 200,000 deaths in our country. And that's the reason why I'm not working. This person isn't going to school. This person's entire year was uprooted. I mean, it, it is so, it's such a, catastrophic pivot. But pivot it is. And I'm actually Mm -hmm. glad that you brought up that word because that's one thing that I think of when I think of you and the work that you're doing and the kind of work that you help other people do too. Pivot Mm -hmm. is a very, um, it's a word that has more than one meaning and it has Ah. a positive flip side. Yes. That's (laughs) a very good observation. So let's talk about how you did pivot. Now in this in this new environment that we're in, uh, you are making money again. You are creating a new facet of your career, and you're also mm-hmm. helping other people do the same. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. What what are you doing now, um, both from a strategic standpoint and just the the plain reality of your day to day work? What are what are you doing now? Absolutely. What I've described up until this point was one half of my life. The other half of my life from the time that I was a child, I wasn't working in live events when I was five, but that is the, one of the offshoots of uh, background in performing arts and creative expression. So when I was a kid, I had a teacher who identified and then told my mom, I think she really enjoys performing. You may want to put her in theater camps. I'm going way back to give you lots of context, but I started to go to theater summer camps and that ended up leading me to audition for the School of the Arts here in Denver, to which I was accepted. I went from sixth grade through 12th grade at Denver School of the Arts and then I graduated and I went into a BFA conservatory program at the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati. Cincinnati Conservatory of Music is the college that that's housed under. And was that for theater or for dance? For theater. For theater. For theater. Okay. Yep. And now that I'm here in the story, I feel like it's very important to mention this. So when I was, because you mentioned movement, and that's the direction that I went in later, I first began to investigate movement because I was accepted to the school at Steppenwolf when I was 18. So it was wow. summer of my freshman going into sophomore year, I would have been 19. I went to Chicago by myself. My mom helped me move. And I plugged in to the summer training program at Steppenwolf Theater Company with primarily people who were at least five plus years older than me. The oldest person in the program was twice my age. So for 10 weeks, I was there studying and had a teacher whose name was Guy Atkins, and he was such a talent. The most vibrant, the most beautiful voice, the most exquisite movements, 
and he taught us something called viewpoints. And as a 19 year old in a theater program, navigating a huge city for the first time on my own, it was such a breath of fresh air being in his class. And viewpoints is all about breaking down movement into its component parts and learning how to move as, a, as an ensemble. Once you break movement down into collective parts, everybody has a language to describe the movement, and then you can start to build things together as a group. And he was the first person who I remember calling me a dancer, and he was calling everybody a dancer, but I internalized that message at a really deep level. Having been to a performing arts high school, I was a theater major, not a dance major. And I didn't allow myself to investigate the desires that I had to be a dancer because there was a whole major that was devoted to that and I was not right. in it. It's, it's very right? siloed for a, for a creative discipline. It's amazing how siloed people can get. Yeah. You know, oil painters and watercolor painters do not do the same thing, right? They're not painters. <laughs> right. And yeah, people who are in the theater, they, they speak, they gesticulate, they move, but they don't dance, right? Otherwise, they're dancers. That's a really right. interesting point. And it has a lot to do with identity, too, and seeing yourself suddenly in a new light, right? Right. So, so that planted a seed and I ended up transferring colleges twice. By the time that I was graduating, I had gone through a yoga teacher training program. I had started to work out very consistently. I'd always been a mover. I'd played sports when I was a kid, but I'd started to be more intentional about taking care of my physical body and I decided to move to LA when I was 25. I wanted to pursue acting and that ended up very quickly. It ended up very quickly that I realized that was not the path for me. I don't enjoy the lifestyle of the conventional actor in LA. It, it didn't align. So at that same time, I had already begun to investigate pole dance. And when the pursuit of being an LA actor fell away. I committed myself to pole dance and developing the strength and endurance and flexibility that was required for that, which then led me to CrossFit, which over years and years and years um, of lots of practice and giving up CrossFit and doing Pilates instead and investigating ballet and then starting to do modern dance. And I feel that I have this late but very robust movement education that I came about almost via the back door. Yeah. And moving back to Denver, which is where I am now, it very slowly started to intersect with the theater career that I thought I was giving up when I moved to LA and realized I, this lifestyle of being an actor doesn't resonate. I'm not going to do theater anymore. I'm not going to do film. I'm going to dance. And then very slowly, I noticed that they were starting to come closer and closer together. And what I've reached now is this intersection of my background in, I'm going to replace theater with storytelling and movement, which is simply an investigation of the body's expression. And in the last, oh, I don't know, three years that I've been back in Denver, I started to teach pole. I started to teach low dance trapeze. I started to teach creative movement at the high school that I graduated from. And then I very, very slowly started to have private clients approach me about, I have this piece, will you help me develop it? I think it's more than just wanting to tie together the skills that I know right now. There's this story that I want to tell and that's the medium that they're telling it in. And then I have other students who approach me because they want to be more in their body, other students who want to be able to utilize their voice. And which having, does have an amazing amount to do with the body. Yeah. Oh. It, the, the voice, like you, you plant your feet, having gone through, you know, voice training for my broadcast career, like 89 years ago, you, you plant your feet and it comes up from the ground sometimes, like straight through you. It's a yeah. physical process. Absolutely. They teach you how to, you know, diaphragmatically breathe like singers just to sit and talk in front of a microphone. <laughs> 
Absolutely. It requires so much coordination of the muscles that facilitate breathing, everything that's happening in your throat, opening up through the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. Where you place your voice in the front or in the back. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's interesting um, that there is, I never really thought about the correlation physically between just speaking and mm -hmm. actually, you know, full body movement, but it's a very, very interesting uh, insight. Right. So interestingly, as coronavirus has dissolved the career path that I thought I was walking down, during this time, because people are home, there's an incredible amount of stress and overwhelm that people are attempting to process. It's amazing. And I've had so many people reach out because they finally have the time to investigate some creative pursuit that had been on the back burner. Yes. And the other really interesting thing that's come up for me in working in live events is that I've sat backstage in so many dark theaters and watched keynote addresses or breakout sessions and presentations and it's given me such perspective on how these tools and the, the very unique skill set that I have can be applied to places other than aerial studios. If you're getting up to present content, there is, there is so much room to clarify your message. Let me give an example. If you're not breathing, I don't care what your PowerPoint is about because I'm not breathing either. If you're wandering around the stage, if you're shuffling back and forth, what I'm paying attention to as the audience member, whether or not I realize it, is you wandering and you shuffling and you not breathing because I'm empathetically responding to what's happening in your body. I'm empathetically responding to what's happening in your voice. If you're stopping your breath and it sounds really glottal, which is that like Valley Girl Fry that you hear, that's what I'm paying attention to. And so I'm not receiving as much of your information. I'm receiving more about what's happening in your body. Right. And I, I know studies vary wildly, but there are studies that show that 80% or even more of, of verbal communication is not literally verbal. It comes through watching a person's body and interpreting what they mean by what they're saying. So yeah, if you're hunched up and frozen and you know, your head's down and you're you know, showing signs of panic or anxiety, it is our human nature, our biology to feel that panic and anxiety and not focus on what the person's saying because our bodies are telling us there's something wrong here. <laughs> right. I feel your stress mm -hmm, and then I feel exactly. stressed. Exactly. So, so you, can, you can use your training to help people overcome those sort of uh, physical um, locks and chains that are wrapped around them because of maybe their tension or their fear or their nervousness or just not being um, aware of what they're presenting to their audience as they're up there. Right. And those skills then too, well, let me say first, mm -hmm. I've also had the great pleasure of watching some incredible speakers and being able to sit in a space and really look at what they're doing that's so effective as far as telling a story and communicating a point and leaving you feeling so inspired. So understanding through this one window that I've had the importance of being able to effectively communicate and that skill set directly translates then too to the aerial student who wants to tell a specific story using their body and aerial apparatus. I heard Lin-Manuel Miranda in an interview that he did a very long time ago, I heard it recently. He was talking about minimizing the distance between the story and the audience. Mm -hmm. And that was something that they focused on with Hamilton was minimizing the distance between the story and the audience to bring the two together. So trying to eliminate the roadblocks that keep you from really engaging and immersing in. Yeah. And saturating in a story. And I heard him say that and I thought that's exactly 
it, whether it's aerial student, someone who needs to get up and speak and present, that's the task. Even you and me communicating now, how can I as clearly as possible communicate the huge essence of who I am in this specific context? Right. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk about the aerial uh, world that you live in, um, mm-hmm. because I know that um, aerial can refer to several types of movements or acrobatics or dance. And I know that one of your, your specialties, kind of what you have become known for, is pole, the pole mm-hmm. routine, pole dancing. And so I just want to ask you a question because I can't even imagine the answer. Uh, what, what is something that people seem to misunderstand about pole dancing? Sure. So the tradition in the United States came out of strip clubs. And I found my way to pull through a YouTube video, but I came up against, and still do, the question of, oh, so are you a stripper? And there are two things about that. First of all, a lot of people find their way to pull by stripping. Sure. I know a lot of people, students and other instructors, that that is what they do. And I have learned a great deal about that world and all of the stigma around it through being around them, some of whom are the most intelligent, empowered individuals I've ever met. And then on the other side, you have this world that broke away from strip clubs and put poles into studios where students were coming for, well, it depends, an athletic experience, There are studios that are specifically devoted to uncovering, unleashing, reconnecting you with your senses, like the sensual experience of being in your body. It really varies. It depends on the studio that you're going to. For me, I saw a YouTube video and went for the more athletic approach because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. The athleticism required to do what this woman was doing was extraordinary. Just and, out of curiosity, I'm sure this this came a lot uh, maybe before this, but mm-hmm. I remember a video from um, FKA Twigs where she is doing a, a dance with a pole and it is the most shocking. It, it, the word is shocking, but not in a bad way. The word is shocking in an astounding and amazing. And I cannot believe that a human body can do this. And also a person who's an incredibly talented singer has this incredibly talented athleticism about them too, because I don't necessarily put the two together in my head. But I, I don't remember what the song was, but I will never forget that video because it was so powerful. I just about like got blown out of my chair and, you know, flung onto the wall behind me just from the sheer raw energy and passion that was coming out of that movement that she was doing. <laughs> yeah. So was that fairly recently? Is there an alien I, you know, I don't pole. remember. I think so. And it was the, the, da- the dance itself that she was doing. I mean, it was a very sad dance. It was a very sad mm. part of the song. I remember it. It's something to do with longing and being it, it felt very much being separated from the a person that she wanted to be with but I just remember that was the first part of the video and yeah it was maybe a couple of years ago so. so I'm going to guess that the video you saw was cellophane and okay. the interesting thing about that video as it relates to me is that my pole mentor choreographed that oh wow he works with FKA twigs in LA I just remember that there was a, a metallic sound. And at that point mm-hmm. of the song, it was her heel dragging across yep. the floor. It was like, wow, <laughs> this is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, cool. it was and is such a testament to the place that pole is now starting to move into in our culture. And she is stunning in that video and presents it's not about the pole. The pole is a tool. And I think when you and I were yeah. chatting before too, we, we were talking about it that way. It's a tool for her to move with. It's not yes. a pole so much as it's a piece of the world that she is interacting with almost is how I felt about it at the time. Yeah. It's a piece of architecture yes. that is supporting the story that she's wanting to tell. Yeah. 
And that has been, so speaking about my journey with Pole specifically, Kelly, who choreographed that video, runs a studio called The Choreography House in LA. And when I moved to LA, I stumbled into that Pole studio. It was the closest one to my house and ended up spending the next three years of my life there. Oh, wow. And it, it really, it caught you. <laughs> it caught me a hundred percent. And, and the community there was so diverse. You had pole artists who were internationally known. Their full-time job was traveling around doing workshops. You had, you had people that worked in strip clubs. You had people that were lawyers. You had people that were doctors. You had people that were coming in that were entertainers who were training with Kelly for various projects that they were working on. It was such a diverse mixing of people from all walks of life. And we were all there because we enjoyed moving around on this apparatus. And Kelly is extraordinary because she is so encouraging. I have so many videos where she is yelling in the background some words of encouragement. Yes, you've got it. Good job. Whatever it is. And was so skilled at teaching. She could take movements that I had struggled with for two years and break them down into progressions and modifications that gave me access to that skill in a much shorter amount of time. Mm -hmm. She had studied movement and was constantly evolving her own creativity and was figuring out the place that pole was figuring out the role of pole in the broader cultural lens. And Both it was artistic such, in the arts culture and maybe in the overall societal culture. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I was seeing this incredible entrepreneur who was, who had this skill set utilized this apparatus, was an incredible storyteller and creative, and is figuring out, like, where does this all live in the world? So I was able to watch that as a 20-something-year-old, helping in whatever way that I could, which was usually stage managing or helping um, production manage different competitions and shows and got to see from the inside what it looks like to really be putting your full energy and effort behind something that the outside world would look at and go, you're trying to do what with, with what you do, huh? And she would just sit there patiently and say, here's what I can do for you. This is my skill set. Let me show you these other things that I've done. This is how I've evolved my business. And I just remember sitting there and going, whoa, this is pretty amazing. So how have you taken what you've clearly absorbed about how a woman or a person in general can take their very unique skill sets and passions and, and find a place that the world wants to, you know, really values what you're doing. And, and clearly, obviously, she was very successful from what I'm hearing. People mm -hmm. are, or are, and I'm sure are still to the point that we can in this, in this pandemic. But, uh, you know, we're, we're very clearly rewarding her skills and talents with the money that they were giving her for classes and for arranging events and stuff. So how have you taken those skills and um, permuted them into what you are doing now because you are now teaching others as well right mm -hmm. so let's talk about what how are you taking those lessons and the skills you've built up in the corporate event world and and what are you doing now for people I have landed on I am a creative consultant and creative mentor I asked someone recently who I'd worked with if you were referring me, what would you refer me for? Would you say I do this? Would you say I do that? Would you say I do this other thing? And she said, no, I wouldn't say that I could distill what you do down to a this, a that, or that other thing. I would send someone to you for comprehensive mentorship. And that blew my mind because I think up until that point, I was, and still am struggling to define exactly what it is that I do, but I was really limiting the possibilities 
both in how I talked about what I did and the way that I thought of it myself. And she said that, and I went, oh, right. I have a really vast skill set that I can utilize to help support someone as they investigate their own capacity for self-expression. And one of the things that she said that was also really helpful was she drew this diagram of four circles, almost like you would draw them on top of the points of a compass. Mm -hmm. And then she drew arrows between all the different circles. And she said, you don't just have a diverse skill set. You have the ability to make the connections between all the different skills. So you can help someone understand the way that they can utilize all of these different skills in service of blank, how to leverage them and utilize them based on the specific context that they're currently navigating. And the way that it's ended up presenting specifically is that during this time, for whatever reason, creativity is the thing that people are interested in exploring. So they'll reach out and ask me to help them with something. And I find that I'm drawing on all of this background of experiences to be able to plug in in any specific moment and say, well, hmm, how about you try this? Or, you know, I watched this keynote address one time and they talked about this. Maybe you should go and Google that and see if that inspires anything in you. Um, yeah, that does sound exactly like what a consultant does. <laughs> yeah. So. Doesn't it? <laughs> rather, than, rather than having a, a, a hook or a, an entry point that's a very specific point, uh, which sometimes I know can help with marketing, but it certainly doesn't help for those of us who are like uh, really creative, multi-potentialate, you know, sort of um, people who have a lot of varied skills and talents in their background. It's It's hard for people sometimes to come up with, how do I funnel that into something that I can easily explain. And I think that it helps with marketing, it helps with elevator speeches, but um, I really, you know, I, I totally understand. You don't want to limit what you can help people with because there is no limit to what you can help people with, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's, it's tough without having that, that entry point or that hook that you can really clue people into where your expertise is and how you can help them grow. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I hear what you're saying. And, and it's funny because, I mean, how do you tell someone, you can't really just ask, like, well, what do you need help with? <laughs> you know, in what areas do you need to be able to express yourself through movement or voice better? Which mm -hmm. I guess is actually a hook in, in and of itself. In mm -hmm. what areas do you feel that your um, lack of comfort with your physicality or your presentation skills, or your stage skills, or your speaking skills, or presenting on a camera, you know, one-on-one -on -one in Zoom, you know, in what areas are you feeling held back? And is that kind of how you see yourself helping people, is where they're held back by their physicality, specifically? Or is it more than that? It's more than that. Mm -hmm. I'm not a therapist. Oh, of course, that's, right. That's not what I <laughs> am. I'm not licensed as a therapist. Right. What I have found, however, is that self-expression is often blocked and inhibited by the things about ourselves that we want to hide. Mm. And so what I found in working, let's use one specific example, in working with one student who wanted to tell a story about her journey towards healing and empowerment. In order to tell that story of empowerment and healing, there had to be a discussion of the wound. And this was work that she had already been doing. And in order to really dive into that work, I think that the process of investigating the wound and accepting there is one and engaging with a therapist, movement therapist, art therapist, trauma therapist is essential to get the tools and skills to start peeling back all of these bandages that you've put over something that hasn't healed, exposing the wound, and then being able to tell a story about that wound flushing out and actually starting to heal. It requires so much courage. 
And what I found is that people come and they, they want to be able to move better, speak better. But what it actually requires is a holistic introspection, process of introspection in looking at, well, what's blocked in your voice, what's blocked in your body, which is where we store all the stuff that we don't deal with. That's what happens. And it becomes necessary to investigate oneself as a whole person, the experience that, that has brought you to this point in your life, the parts of yourself that you wish didn't live in there, but do, the things that have happened in your life that you feel shame around. In order to fully express yourself, it's important, it's necessary to accept all the parts of yourself, not feel shame around them, let them breathe and live, and you get to make the choices about how you behave in the world, but there's no energy going to suppressing any part of yourself. Oh, I love that. I love that philosophy. If it's not constantly clawing at the forefront of your brain, you're not constantly telling it to go away, get back there. You are so much more free <laughs> as a person. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to speak also to what you were asking about before, this is the, this, this is the meat. This is the soul of the thing. But part of what we're talking about here is, well, how do you make that into something? And especially speaking to this idea of vocation, everything I've been talking about with why I do this and the way that I approach it and the philosophy is the vocation part, this path that has required real dedication, reflection, introspection, overhauling for me of engaging with the process that I'm describing, essentially, being willing to do all the things that I'm talking about to you now. If I'm helping other people tell stories that are deeply meaningful to them, I have to be willing to do the same thing, right? But <laughs> the other part of a vocation or career is that you need to have something that people are willing to purchase. Right, right. And there has to be a value that you deliver in some way that resonates in some way with people who are willing to, um, to show you that they value it by exchanging money in some way for it. Yes. Co correct, correct. Yes. And, and I said that with that furrowed brow and squint, that was the, I don't even want to say that. That was the part of me that doesn't want to sell what my soul really cares about, but also I recognize, especially having been in live events and sat in on a lot of conferences where businesses are discussing what they do, that when you have something that can improve the quality of other people's lives, that is, that is the fundamental building block of business is I have something that can improve the quality of your life. Here it is. This is what it is. This is how much it costs, right? And there are businesses that do that with a lot of integrity and there are businesses that don't. And so you as an individual have to decide how you're going to operate your business. I have this thing of value. I want to share it. It's also very important to me in pursuit of vocation that this is what I'm doing with my time. Yes. Because perhaps the most important thing I realized at a certain point was that my life doesn't start when I finally arrive in that place where I'm like, aha, I'm doing it. My life is happening all the time and I don't get that time back. And it never made sense to me to work at a job that I don't like. Right. Because that is time that I am never going to get back. And it impacts the quality of the time I have in this body on this planet. That's true. And I do believe in, in some degree that, that having a, say, full-time job that doesn't fill your soul mm -hmm. by any means and doesn't necessarily feel like you're giving something of value back to the world, but pays your bills. I have looked at that in my past as an uh, like, like back in the Renaissance days when painters would have a sponsor, a patron, who would pay their, their food and, and living expenses and their clothing for them and their paint supplies so that the artist can paint for them. Mm -hmm. um, it's like your day job can be your sponsor. 
as long as it's not sucking the literal life out of you. And I really believe that it's okay to take little tiny baby steps toward what you really want and what you really need to do to express yourself and that also uh, people in the world respond to back to you. Um, I believe that little tiny baby steps are okay. You can do that in your evenings and weekends. Um, But yeah, as to what you were saying, if you have a job that is like the antithesis of your values Mm -hmm. or just instead of even being neutral is a drain on you every single day, Mm -hmm. you're right. There is absolutely not enough time in this life. Mm We don't have enough healthy, active, happy, you know, decades in front of us that, um, you know, that makes it worth not doing something to the best of your ability to move yourself away from that capacity and into something that will truly mean something in the world, whatever that means to you. Right. <laughs> so I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, and that requires a huge amount of calculated risk. Mm, It has for me anyway. Recognizing when I've been in a position where a job was unsustainable because it was so toxic and being willing to take the leap onto a bridge that was temporary but served the purpose of sustaining me until I could arrive at the next thing. And within that time being extremely intentional, sitting down and journaling, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm manifesting. This is how I will know that an opportunity is aligned with my integrity. I enjoy doing this. I want to do it more. And then eventually an opportunity presents and you jump to something else and then you jump to something else. Um, It has required incredible calculated risk. And I find that the most important the most important thing that I have to remember in the journey is that I'm moving towards something that I have consistently been told is completely impractical. That having a, having a career that is, having a career in a creative field Having a job that I have created for myself that is entirely based in creativity is completely unrealistic. And yet you're doing it. (laughs) Right. And what I have had to do since I was a little kid is reject the premise of that statement. Good for you. Well, but it is really hard. And there are periods of time where I keep thinking this is not going to work, but. Because the world is telling you that it's not going to work. Partly. Oh, yeah. 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 When are you going to get a real job is a big question that I get. And so what I have really built for myself this time around, you asked about what are the skills that you took from, from my experience at the choreography house and in corporate conventions and conferences, watching business entrepreneurs get up and speak about X, Y, or Z. I think that you I had to create the foundation for myself. I have found consistently that it's really important to legitimize myself. So I I heard Tina Fey say once that she hated doing photo shoots. She'd go in, she'd sit down, they'd tweeze her eyebrows to within an inch of their life. They'd put on makeup and she would get her eyelashes curled and fake eyelashes put on and they'd dress her in clothes she would never wear and she'd see her face on a magazine cover and wouldn't even recognize herself. But she said, you know, I do that because nobody will pay attention to you if, and in that context it was, you know, had a certain amount of makeup on, my hair was done, I looked presentable. And while there there are issues with that, of course, that I'm not gonna get into, I think the message I took from that was, you need to lay the foundation so that when someone comes, they hear me talk and they're like, what is she talking about? This sounds pretty woo woo, chinka chinka artist nonsense jargon. Like, oh, that sounds like a whole lot of spirit in one place. That when they search for me, they go look for Grace Skinner. There's a website there that I've spent so much time on. I've gotten feedback about the layout, about how easy or not it is to navigate, about my system for setting up 
scheduling. I have an online scheduler. I have an Instagram account that has been curated meticulously over a very long period of time. Then I've set up a YouTube page. I have a Spotify account. I have a Patreon account. And all of that is linked to my website. I've had pictures taken. I've spent a ton of time going through and editing my bio and making sure that it speaks to what I actually do. I've spent time, hours and hours sitting and writing class curriculum so that if someone takes a risk on coming to my class, I am 100% there, present and prepared. Yes, you've so, laid that foundation and you've done it in your way too. With yep. With the caveat that this is what is expected, quote unquote, mm -hmm. of you in this day and age, you're expected to have an Instagram, you're expected to have a, a website, you're you know, expected to be able to present yourself as a legitimate um, business person, but you are doing it in a creative field and you're doing mm -hmm. it in the way that suits you best because you are literally teaching people amongst other things how to pull dance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, just it's, and it's not something that I think a lot of people would say um, is a, a traditional career at all. And that suits you just fine, right? Absolutely. Well, and I think another larger mission for me when we're talking about vocation, it's not just the work I'm doing. It's the way that we're pushing back against the, the standard, which has been, put in place long before we ever arrived here. Right. But I don't, I view pole as a, an apparatus that has given me my body back. It has connected me to my spirit. It has also taught me lessons about curiosity and resilience. And I find that for me, part of the process is really disrupting the ideas that people have about not only pole, but about women. Because right now, if someone's watching this interview, I'm wearing a certain type of clothing, but I also can wear a lacy bra and lacy panties and eight inch heels. And that's also me. And then I can also wear yoga pants and a super baggy sweatshirt and have my hair up in a bun and no makeup. And that's also me. And, and identifying and investigating and giving life to as many different parts of myself as I can in the time that I have, not limiting myself, but presenting the very complex human being, the very complex woman that I am. Yeah. And hopefully for, I mean, my, my goal or dream, my hope, I guess, is that a 16-year-old girl can see that and recognize that you can be all of those things. Yes. That's, that's literally why this podcast and this project exists is because I believe very strongly that, as we were saying before, life is too short to not try something that fulfills you. And, and, and I mean in an entrepreneurial sense, because that just is the bent of my mind and my personality. I'm an entrepreneurial person. I mean, when I was nine years old, I tried selling jokes that I hand printed out of the Reader's Digest magazine door to door. And by the way, my neighborhood was the worst. Nobody bought a single joke from me. And I'm sorry, but that's rude. <laughs> but at the same time, I also didn't know what was going to sell. I didn't understand right. product market fit when I was nine years old, clearly. Uh, probably all my neighbors already got the Reader's Digest <laughs> and had read the jokes already. So, right. so that's the thing. For, for me, um, expressing yourself is intricately and, uh, you know, inexhaustibly tied in with, with entrepreneurial uh, ventures. Um, that is my artistic passion, so to speak. Um, and that's the, the people that I'm talking to is people who want to live their purpose and also 
make money from it. And, but not just make money in the sense of, you know, I want to be rich uh, by doing what I'm doing, but more like I want to show the world that I, that there's value in who I am and what I do. And I want to know that the world is valuing what I'm valuing too. And that I found a pocket of people who respond to what I'm doing. And I know that they're responding because they watch my videos. They, they take my classes. Uh, mm -hmm. They, you know, buy my services when they want to get up on stage and um, you know, they, they support me through Patreon, for instance, in, you know, mm -hmm. in all of these in your case. And that to me, um, not that I need or I think, you know, that anyone should need to get their validation internally from, from external people. But like I said, that's my particular form of, ex uh, of, of creation and expression. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm hearing you say that there, there's also, you know, there's so many ways to express yourself and so many ways to be yourself in this world. And so that's why vocation creation exists is to encourage that exploration of the fit for you with the entrepreneurial market. And I, I, it sounds like you've got such a unique fit in the market, which is why, of course, we're talking in the first place, because I also mm -hmm. want to encourage people, whether they're, you know, 16 or, or 86, that there is things that they can do that will fulfill their, their, not their, I hate the word purpose, because mm -hmm. I don't believe that a person is born with one purpose. Just like I don't believe that there's one soulmate in the entire world for people, but there's people with whom you can fit so closely. Um, and there's, I believe in that in, pa in passion and purpose and vocation too. Mm -hmm. um, and I love what you, you were saying earlier about vocation because you just, you hit it on the spot and I think I'm just going to steal everything that you said okay. and transcribe it and put it on my website and pretend it's mine. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll say with attribution to Grace Skinner in like four point font. <laughs> Perfect. As long as it's there, you know, and none of my ideas are original. I, I've That's learned or heard all of this from other people and then through a process of living and experiencing recognized, oh, that absolutely resonates. Yeah, yeah I absolutely agree with that. And I'm going to start to figure out how to embody that value so yeah yeah no new ideas under the sun again beautifully said i love what you're saying <laughs> mm -hmm. so um what can you advise others um you know whether it's like a free or a low-cost building business building resource um or just a general philosophy or a tactic that you've used what would you advise others about starting or growing a business right now during this very pivotal time that we are experiencing creativity for me has been most accessible when i'm not just trying to survive so finding a part-time job, a full-time job, where you are actively building a skill set that you are interested in having and being present and engaged with it until you're able to move on to the next thing. Also recognizing that you can learn from everything. So if you're hearing that and thinking, well, I have a job, it's awful. Evaluating why it's awful. Is it a toxic work environment? Are you being harassed? Or is it that it's not what you want to be doing? If so, look at the skills that you are able to learn in that environment. Even if you're, for example, working as an office manager. Wow, I learned a lot in that job with a great boss, yes, but I learned a lot in that job about what it was to sit on hold what you need to make sure that you take care of as a business owner so that you're not sitting on hold with the state of California blank department for five and a half hours, making sure your taxes are filed, making sure that you aren't running your business on a deficit, not particularly writing, interesting. Yeah, writing excellent business materials. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. conducting yourself with integrity. Like I learned all of that working as an assistant to an office manager. So sure. really opening yourself up to learn from every experience and then pay attention to the places where you are giving your full effort, but it doesn't feel 
like you're being drained and it doesn't feel like work in the traditional sense. I think work gets a, it has a nasty reputation as something that's a, a slog. But for me, I identified what I was passionate about, what my vocation actually was. I remember sitting in a room watching a performance, a rehearsal for a performance. You're probably five or six hours into rehearsal. And I realized that I could do that all day mm-hmm. and that I was tired at the end of the day and that I'd wake up the next morning and really need to pound that coffee to get back to it, that I would still get hungry and cranky and all of the other things. Elizabeth Gilbert says this really well, but I was willing to, she describes it, and I hope I can cuss on here, as a shit sandwich. She's like, find the, every job, every career, every vocation as a shit sandwich that you have to eat. So find the one where you're willing to eat the shit sandwich because being in that room for me, I realized I could do it forever. And then it's a matter of figuring out okay, well, who do I need to be working with? Who do I enjoy working with? How do I monetize this? All that comes, but you can't start down the path unless you recognize the place and the work that really calms you and requires all of your skills and brings you to life. Oh, beautifully put. You are just so eloquent. I love the way that you, that oh. you phrase things. Thank you. I'm so glad to so glad to have you here. Um, just one last question. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you know you've read Elizabeth Gilbert, for instance, um, and you've mentioned several classes that you've taken along the way. As far as as it, there's there's a lot that goes into putting your skills and talents out there for people to purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do? What are your resources for learning to stay on top of the ever-growing requirements that it takes to be a person who earns their living from their own creative output? Hmm. How do you keep on top of all the learning it takes personally? That's a really good question. I think the best advice that I got about that was from a, a Denver-based photographer named Jessica Christie. going to shout out to her because she's amazing. She runs her own business and was offering 30-minute free consultations when coronavirus started. The first thing that I would say is, and this is directly from her, look at the people who are doing something similar to what you want to be doing. Follow them on Instagram, sign up for their newsletters, stock their websites. And by stock, I mean haunt. Just look at everything go back to their pages, see how they're moving through iterations, adjusting their language, editing this, changing that. Follow them and what they're doing and imitate it. It doesn't mean that you copy it. It doesn't mean that eventually you end up in court because you plagiarize what that's not what it means. It means that you're looking at a model that works and you're trying it on. And then you're going and you're looking at this other person and you're seeing how they do that. And then you're trying that on. So Jessica Christie is one of mine. I follow a choreographer named Galen Hooks. Authors like Elizabeth Gilbert, who are very much making their money based on their creativity. Watching documentaries about Misty Copeland. I'm a huge Swifty. So looking at how Taylor Swift runs her brand. how she I love talks. folklore, by the way. Oh my God. <laughs> what a great album. <laughs> Thank you, Taylor. Really? Yes. I mean, I needed it. It's what it we needed. Absolutely. And Absolutely. the fact that literally my favorite singer-songwriter on the face of the earth, Bon Iver, just pops up in the middle. I'm like, oh. oh Jennifer, <laughs> you and me both. I love him. Like, I've loved him since <laughs> college. I know. And, and so that's what I'd say is, is look at people who are doing it doesn't mean it's what you're doing. It means it's something similar. They've caught your attention. You really appreciate their work. Watch how they're running their business and model your newsletters after them. Try on Instagram posting. Oh, Taylor Swift is really specific about what she puts online. Maybe I need to spend more time editing and curating my message. And then, and then I post, oh, this graphic was really fascinating. This artist did blank. So you're drawing from a lot of different sources and seeing ultimately what, what works in the presentation of the material that you're putting out into the world. Yeah. You weave it into a cloth that you fit to your own body. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, yeah. You try on, you try on clothing until you find the piece that you can make your own. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. So I have absolutely loved this. Uh, we're running a little short on time, so let's unfortunately wrap it up. And I will ask you the very last question, where can our listeners connect with you online? Oh, I would love for you to come find me. I am online in many places, starting with my website. You can find it www.graceskinner, G-R-E-Y-C-E-S-K-I-N-N-E-R.com. I'm also on YouTube. Search my name, Grace Skinner. I have an Instagram account, which is the beginning of all of this. So if you're looking for uh, the full journey, that would be where you'd find that. And then I'm also on Patreon search my name again, Grace Skinner. Perfect. Thank you so much, Grace, for being here. I have truly enjoyed this. And uh, there are some amazing takeaways from this, which I will try to summarize in our show notes. And I'll put links to all of your various locations that people can find you there too. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate your time. It was such a joy to talk about this subject. Thanks for listening to the Vocation Creation Podcast. Join me each week for inspiration and motivation to do the work you can't wait to wake up to. I'm Jennifer Wenzel. Find more at vocationcreation.com.